Welcome to Disruptive CEO Nation, where your host, Alison K. Summers, is searching the globe to introduce you to cutting-edge thinkers and entrepreneurs whose stories will inspire you to innovate your own business life. Having worked with and coached CEOs and senior leaders from over 90 countries, Alison is taking her own experiences to help today's CEOs and professionals meet the ever-changing demands of the future of work. Now, here's your host, Alison K. Summers. Welcome everyone to this episode of Disruptive CEO Nation. We love to have guests that talk about cutting edge things that are in the mix of what's currently happening in the world of technology. And that could not be more true for the guests that we're about to introduce to you. So we have for you today an individual who is a leading global authority as a gig economy expert, but also in the area of technology. And it's such a treat because he's a guest lex lecturer at institutions like Harvard and MIT, New York University. He is certainly on platforms and stages for major technology conferences. So with Without further ado, I would love to welcome Mike Morris to the show. Welcome, Mike. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. So, Mike, I didn't tell everybody what your organization is and what you're working on today. So, can you share with everybody what the passion is that you're involved with? Sure thing. So, um, the company is Top Coder, and um, I'm uh, one of the founding crew. And it was, uh, geez, it was over 17 years ago that we founded the company. And the whole idea of TopCoder was, um, can we create and aggregate a global community of technology experts? So people that are really good at skill sets like uh, software development, um, solving complicated data science algorithms, and even designing front ends for new experiences. And uh, that was the initial goal of the company. It's like, hey, can we find this talent base? Can we grow it? Can we cultivate it? Can we make Top Coder a place where they come every morning, that they come to every night, and then eventually is a place where they get work from? And where we've evolved to over the 17 years is we now have a global community of uh, over 1.5 million people. We are in every single country around the globe, and it grows by about 50,000 people per quarter um, virally. So it's a very, uh, it's a, it's a, the community itself has kind of taken its own form. And, um, and now our business is we connect large enterprises that are struggling to attract this talent themselves um, with this great community that we built and, uh, and they use them to build new software products, solve really complicated algorithms. And we work it across almost every industry. And Mike, when you do you find that the people that are working in your community, are they coming in from all sorts of different ways from prior traditional maybe workforce environments or are you attracting them right out of university? What's Do you have any analytics on how people are finding you? I mean, 50,000 people per quarter joining your platform. I mean, that's such an immense amount of talent and resources. Yeah, so the... Um, the viral growth really did start within the university networks. And what we, we found is that TopCoder became, in computer science specifically, there's a, a program called uh, the ACM. And the ACM represents a, a, um, a global organization that helps people in computer science 
compete against each other to earn bragging rights, right? And essentially, and they have different chapters. We've kind of taken over as what the ACM does in the university, we do in post-university. So a lot of our initial find, finding has been from the university ranks, and then it grows into the professional ranks. So I would say the majority of that, if you call anything, if you call something viral in our growth, it would be in the university level. Uh, but our member base, because we've been around so, for so long, the member base is, um, you know, has uh, it's probably about maybe just over 50 percent, 52, 53 percent of the 1.5 million is professionals. And then the rest of it is uh, people that are coming in uh, that are still in university, either undergraduate or postgraduate. You know, and, and I feel like when you go to the site and I, I encourage our listeners to go to topcoder.com, whether you feel like you're going to need Mike's services or not, there's a couple reasons that I encourage you to go take a look. And that's, um, I can tell just as a quick glance that, you know, you care as much about your community as you care about selling the services and, and what you're, what you're delivering to your clients and customers. Um, and so you do have a big community support network, correct? I, I take that as a very big compliment, so thank you. Um, I often will describe Topcoder as, you know, we're a community with a company. And um, it's, a, it's a big distinction because I, I do see other organizations, large technology companies in particular, um, try to start these grassroots developer uh, ecosystems, and they struggle because they're a company where their their main mission in life is not to support the growth and happiness and integrity of their relationship with their community, ours is. And uh, so we take a lot of pride. And I always say, if our community is happy, our customers are happy. Um, the reverse is not true. <laughs> uh, so if, if we keep that community happy, happy healthy, loyal, um, and, and in fact, you know, you bring up a good point because when you introduced me, you talked about the gig economy, and I do feel that the gig economy is a, is a huge topic for us to discuss, and I have some, some very strong opinions on really where we are. Um, we're at the infancy of what the gig economy is going to be doing, um, but a lot of people talk about Topcoder and say we are an example of what's called the passion economy, um, and it really is, if I had to say the mission um, my mission and the company's mission is to it's to find areas where our community can work that they're super passionate about. Either that they want to, you know, um, learn something new, so they're passionate about learning. We all are. We all are passionate about learning new skills, or they're passionate about showing off the skills that they have, uh, which we all are, are are interested in that as well. Um, or the final one is they're they're passionate about the fact that they can really make an impact. Either they can, um, you know, earn money or solve complicated problems, or in some of the cases, you know, we're solving problems that are benefiting um, the entire of humanity. Right? Things that we've done in the healthcare space were have been groundbreaking. Uh, so I, I really like this concept of passion community. And the challenge is, can you give people the opportunity to make a living? in the stuff that they would choose to do even if they didn't get paid. So think about that. Like that is a true challenge. Uh, but if you can do it, talk about a win-win. And that's a true win-win. Uh, yeah, I love how you're talking about benefiting the entire humanity. I, I work and I'm a champion for the nonprofit space. And I was at a conference last weekend and they were talking from the stage about 
um, an individual who had come out of university and their friend got a job with P&G, like a major marketing job at, at, at P&G, making huge money, you know, bragging rights when, when you go out places. And he became a marketer for a brain association, for brain health and for neurology. And he's like, you know, I'm actually working to save people's lives, but this person who has PNG on their resume is just like this huge winner. So I, I think what you're saying is so true. And that's certainly the culture that we're all moving to, right? Is that, um, you know, what people do needs to, needs to matter and it needs to be exciting. And um, so that's, if you found the secret sauce to that, building a community that happens to have a business and take care of um, people's economic health, that's, that's huge. I also think the, uh, the statistics and, and, you know, there's so many reports out now, so you can just, you can pick one, but even when I go out and speak about the future of work and I tell people that, you know, by 2030, what if 90%, what if the statistic that 90% of you would be self-employed, whether you believe it or not, are you prepared for it? Um, and so the fact that Top Coder is building this home in this place for people to do that at such an extreme rate over the last 17 years, um, kudos to you. Let, but let's talk about your founder's journey and, and then how you get to this extreme growth over 17 years because Top Coder is in a great place today, but you certainly have a career story of the companies that you worked for. So share a little bit with our listeners about what got you to where you are today. Sure thing. Um, it's not pretty. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, I day it's like, wow, how did we survive? Is kind of when I look back and I think about the different um, turns and, uh, now when we, yeah, I think that, you know, the, a big lesson learned that I'll, I'll kind of share with people is you may have a great and fantastic idea and you might think that, you know, it's, it's so true and evident and you can, you can, you can just see it, right. And you believe it to such a core, but if the market's not ready for it, it doesn't matter. And that's something where uh, it's a, that's an incredibly hard lesson for a founder, for a CEO, um, because what you, what happens is, uh, you know, a, any leader of any organization of any, of any team, um, they will typically lead by two areas. They lead by their head and they lead by their heart. And, um, and if you're going to be a founder, you have to, you know, I am one that leads more by my heart and, uh, and less by my head. And I think that, you know, that's for me, that's a good thing. But um, I surround myself with people that are going to be more leading by their heads. But the, the thing that as we grew Top Coder, we, we knew we had something really special. And we also knew that um, we got lucky because we had some basic concepts like, hey, if we can find the best people out there, then we can build a business on it. Just makes sense. We also had a concept of, you know, we love this, this thing of online communities. And, you know, at that point when we started Top Coder, you know, Facebook did not exist. The term social networking was not used. Um, and we looked out there and we found that the best example that we could find at that time was the International Chess Foundation. Because we thought, wow, incredibly powerful, um, global, 
there's an innate um, kind of structure in the community where the people that are more accomplished in chess, which is denoted by their chess rating, um, had uh, had more respect and kind of had more authority, um, but in a very very positive way. It was it was just really pure. And so we set out to kind of you know like any good entrepreneur, we set out to copy that <laughs> and figure out how we would uh, we would do that in the world of technology. And I think we were we were, we just we got like I said we got lucky. Um, we in the first couple of years, I think we accomplished it. Like we got to a point where we had this loyal community that was growing in a in a viral way globally, and it was it was there was no um, there was no diversity inclusion was not an issue, right? It was a platform. People came. It didn't matter where they came from. It didn't matter what gender they were. It didn't matter what their background was, right? A lot of times in this field, if you graduate from an MIT with a computer science degree, you're going to have opportunity that is way more than somebody that graduates from a computer from a community college with a degree in you know and management technology, right? Um, but in our platform, it doesn't matter. It's we put everybody in the playing field, and um, and it's what you do that proves uh, you know how good you are. So we felt really good about what we had built very early on, like in the uh, early 2000s. But the market wasn't ready for it yet, and um, we were lucky enough to be able to figure out ways to keep the company going. There was a series of uh, of transactions that happened. At one point, I left the company, and then at another point, I acquired the company back, and then at another point, we got acquired a third time. But to date, we're still top coder. Um, I get the privilege of being able to lead an amazing team of people inside the company and our community, which is almost amazing to me because our, our, our internal team is so, you know, they're so into the mission of top coder with all those changes that we've had. I think our community disruption has been close to zero. Like the community has always known the, the top coder that started, you know, um, that was originally started. And uh, so I, I've been really lucky as a founder. But uh, but my lesson in my, what I would say to everybody that, that might be listening is, um, you know, you really, if the market's not ready, there's nothing you can do about it. It's, it's a hard thing. And if you think about the gig economy, um, let me just take a quick two seconds and talk about this. The gig economy is so early on and the interesting thing is that if you look back, most of the big changes in, uh, in, in, uh, in socioeconomic changes that have happened have been driven by governments, by large enterprises, by major shifts in technology. This is one that is different. This is being driven by the everyday um, worker. So at an alarming rate, you said 90%, I think that's realistic. Um, I think in the next year and a half, two years, 50% of our workforce is going to be choosing freelancing as their primary means of earning, earning money. And uh, that's being driven from every individual worker. So that's a different movement from what we're used to. And, uh, and, the, and you see it because governments don't know how, they're just starting to figure out how do they track this, right? How do they track the, the money? How is it affecting the unemployment rate? How is it affecting the way that people are, are earning and paying taxes? How does it affect the way people are getting um, healthcare and benefits uh, and retirement? And organizations are struggling. A lot of organizations are trying to figure out, well, is this is this good for people? Is this? And I always say to them, I say, listen, 
if it wasn't good for people, then they wouldn't be moving in this direction at the speed they are, right? There's plenty of jobs out there. There's plenty of, of uh, in, in the fact that the, the, in many fields, the best talent is choosing to work in the gig economy, in the passion economy, is proof that this is good for the, the people, for the workers. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, and then um, I think that you talk about governments and you talk about driven by the individual. And I know we're going to just go off topic here for a second, but I see this shift in the nonprofit space. And I, I see it. We just had a position um, that we had posted open on, on more than our usual platforms and, and didn't attract. And we have a very flexible work environment. And so I think everybody that's operating a traditional business is already seeing this. They're already seeing the voice of the workers. They're already seeing individuals demanding more. And particularly with the period we're in right now with low unemployment, it's, it's tough. How, and, and you had mentioned governments, you know, how are they going to be able to do what they need to do? Because it's going to affect them just as, just as much. Um, so it's, yeah, it's very interesting. Everything you say is, is, is very wise. What's, what's, what's your, what's your wisdom for, for companies? I mean, obviously top coder is providing a solution, um, that is, is very specific, but I mean, it, but it's very vast. If we go to, to your site, there's so many different things that, um, your talent can, can deliver for a company. Um, but any other kind of thoughts for business leaders on this topic to prepare for it? Uh, yeah, I mean, so, realize how far you are behind and um and i i talked i spent a lot of time with a lot of ceos of very large companies and um in many of their initiatives that they're working on is you know well how do i enable my people from to work from home how do i allow them to work in satellite offices how do i you know allow them to work choose you know different different things they they want to work on instead of being you know command and control being told hey this is what your task is for the week for the month for the for the year for the quarter um and they're trying to turn turn it upside down which is definitely uh, i commend every leader that is thinking like that how to make a more flexible work environment to drive better uh, experience for their and ultimately better experience you know better results um so I commend that, but realize how far you are behind. We're, we all spend this enormous amount of time talking about the millennials and how they're different and what, you know, how they're different from what we were. Um, and uh, the, the millennials are nothing. Like think about, I've got four kids and when they get in the car, it, like on demand is like, on demand is almost too slow <laughs> because when they get in the car, they're like, you know, I when I was a kid, you put on a radio station and you just listened and you just listened and you were okay with the commercials and you're okay with the, you know, okay, I'm going to listen to the same loop of songs again because I'm into my third hour of listening to the same station because there's only six available. And, um, you know, especially in long car trips. Now my kids, they, it is, it is instantaneous. They get in the car and if it's not a voice controlled ability for them to go to the exact song they want, then it's a disappointment. So their their expectations on things are hugely different, and um, and this is the next wave of, pe of people that are coming up. Yeah. And these, you know, organizations are going to have to be ready for it. 
Well, Mike, my 13-year-old, this is like you talk about the way they consume things, is like a closet expert on the making of knives and swords. And I'm like, what? <laughs> because she, you're right. It's, there's just so much out at everybody's fingertips. And, the, and I have a, my youngest is 13, my oldest is 27. And the way that those two ladies see the world is totally hugely totally different. different. Yeah, that vastly, vastly different. Which is part of the reason I love speaking with individuals like yourself is, you know, this idea of relevancy. And in my book, Connect to Influence, I, I, I'm really talking more towards the individuals and saying, are you going to be in or out or lost or found? Because I think this urgency of realizing how far behind you already are, um, people don't people don't get it. But that's our tangent. So let's, let's go back to, um, to Top Coder. And let's go back to, um, so share with us, share with the listeners, some of the specific services that we can go when we go to your platform um, that your talent can do for us as companies. Sure. So um, thank you. <laughs> we, uh, we, for large organizations, typically, but even small companies will come to us, um, even sometimes individuals, and they'll want to build a new, a new, a new digital product. So think of it as an app or a complicated algorithm. So quickly, give you a couple examples: um, T-Mobile and Comcast. So in the media space, we can all relate to what the services they provide. We do a lot of R and D for them. So when they want to come up with a new product for their customer base. There's a lot of experimentation that's involved. Let's try something out new. Let's try something out very rapidly. Um, and then there's a, there's a speed aspect where it's quick, right? They, if if T-Mobile is going to launch a new product, they need to do it before their competitors. They want to do it before their competitors. So we fill in that gap for them because we're, we're, we're incredibly fast. It's on demand. Our community, 1.5 million, is ready to go. And they will come to us with an idea. And often what we'll do is we'll run competitions, right? So a competition is a way that we can, um, we can go out and source the talent and they come in and they say, hey, I'm really interested in, in participating in this. And we set up a, a competition. People will um, basically, it's like an interview process, except you're actually producing something in the interview process and we're paying you for the interview process. So the people that do the best job get paid and then they get an opportunity to work on something ongoing. So it's like the best of both worlds from, uh, it's very transparent. So you go to Top Coder and the one thing you will see is we measure, we track everything and there's a hundred percent transparency. If you do this, you will get paid that. Um, and, uh, and here's how we're going to evaluate how you get selected for a piece of work, how you get, uh, how your submission gets, gets, uh, completed. So, T-Mobile may come to us and say, hey, we want to go build an app that does X, Y, and Z. And uh, we will immediately go out and say, all right, we're going to prototype that. And we're going to have an initial conceptual design done in two to three days. And after that two to three days, we'll spend another week and we'll give you a, a semi-working prototype. And then if you really still like it, then we'll bring it to, to MVP over the next few weeks. So it's a really rapid cycle to build something new and the, the only way we can accomplish it is by pulling in this diverse set of talent. If you're stuck with a fixed set of workers, you're going to be in a situation of, well, when does that person have time? Do they have this skill set? They have to go learn this skill set. They need to go find somebody that does. You have to onboard them. And we have none of that. 
So that's one example. Another example really quickly is something I'm super proud of is uh, um, a little over a year ago, a year and a half ago. So we did a project with Harvard, um, the, the Laboratory for Innovation Sciences at Harvard and Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. And what they wanted to do was build an algorithm that helped radiation oncologists treat lung cancer. So somebody has lung cancer, what has to happen is an oncologist goes in and has to basically draw and circle the area to apply these rays of radiation. It's very, very hard to do. They have to watch out for all the major organs. They have to try to get all of the tumor. Um, and there's a few experts around the globe that have this, this, this skill set. So they wanted a tool to help them kind of do it faster, more, more, more productive. And um, we set out on this partnership this with uh, Harvard and Dana-Farber. We worked with a panel of um, 15 expert oncologists, and we got a bunch of data, um, hundreds or thousands of images, hundreds of different cases that we went through, and we built a training algorithm. We trained an algorithm that could do this work. And the result of it was we did two rounds with our community. We had about 500-plus people come in to say, hey, I'm interested in helping to solve this problem. And uh, we paid out over $55,000 in prize money over you know, a period of uh, maybe a couple of months. Um, and at the end of it, we got a really good set of algorithms. But we thought we could do better. Harvard actually thought we could do better. So we took the top 12 people and we said, hey, we're going to pay you to work on this on a third phase. No matter what your result is, we're going to pay you for it. We want you to figure it. And these people are from all corners of the globe, different backgrounds. They were the top 12 out of that 500 plus people that came in. And, um, and they built an algorithm that went through a peer review process with JAMA Oncology and was determined to be um, more accurate than that panel of oncologists. So this is a breakthrough of an enormous, enormous breakthrough because it's the first time that machine learning, computer vision, artificial intelligence, has been used to treat cancer. So that algorithm can be, can be used. And now think about the implications of that. For That's somebody incredible. that has lung cancer, if you have lung cancer and you can't get to the, that panel of 15 people in Dana-Farber, you're at a loss. Now we can start federating this out to anywhere. And um, so it's, it's still early on, but the, uh, but the fact that we went through that peer review journal was, uh, was pretty, pretty awesome. Well, and it, it's just, it's the way you got to the solutions that's, you know, like you said, just a very innovative way of, of the speed, you know, and I, I know on, uh, you know, we always keep talking about speed and scale and speed and scale, but um, that is just a great story, Mike, and I, I appreciate you sharing it with us. We're, we're almost at our time, but I would feel remiss if we didn't touch base, because um, I speak to a lot of women in business topics. So I would be remiss if we didn't talk a little bit about your thoughts and what you're seeing and trends for females in the STEM space. Oh, that's such a great question. And it's such a huge issue. Um, as, a, as, a, as a dad of three, I'm the dad that always puts my girls in Lego camp, right? <laughs> and uh, and there, you know, there's maybe one or two other girls and then there's all boys. I think there's a huge issue of getting girls involved in STEM period, right? And uh, it, we, we, in our own analysis, we, we rate ourselves 
we rate ourselves not poorly. <laughs> so uh, we're trying lots of different things to get more um, gender diversity in our community. We're probably at the low single digits. So I think in uh, less than 15% um, range of competitors uh, or community members that are coming in and working on projects um, are, are girls. And that says something because our, our platform is completely, there is no more pure way of taking away diversity, uh, the pure diversity and inclusion than a, an electronic platform like TopCoder, mm -hmm. right? You can, you're, you're coming in, you have your own persona, we don't care what gender you are, we come, all the, those biases, there's absolutely zero biases involved in our platform in determining who's, who's working on what. Um, so what that tells me is our issue is way earlier. Like it's not the college level. It's not, it's, it's, I think personally, um, I think it's the third, fourth grade area that we as a country, we as a, as, as a, in, in the industry of technology needs to focus on how do we get spark the interest in girls um, to start in careers in STEM, start thinking about it in third to fourth grade. And that, if they get a taste of it, if they get, uh, you know, encouragement and they get a path, um, I think a lot more of them will stick with it. Uh, trying to solve it in the workforce is too late. Trying to solve it even in the university level is too late. Um, and so that's, that's my personal feeling on it. I think it's a huge issue. So we have an event called the Top Coder Open. It's the largest computer um, competition out there. And we, we're running it next week. It's in Houston. And we're flying in 128 um, of the best of the best of Top Coder. Of our 1.5 million, we're flying in 128 wow. top people. And <laughs> wow, that's pretty them. impressive. Yeah. <laughs> And, and like I said, there's a, there's a, there's a handful out of that 128, um, there's less than 20 that are female and it should be way higher. And we want that to get way higher. So, um, so anyway, yeah. Well, and I think it's, it's wonderful to see organizations like, I'm sure you're familiar with Girls Who Code and, and other organizations mm -hmm. like that to, as you've said, um, because where we're going with technology and where we're going with the things that um, community members of Top Coder do, we need a better pipeline. And I agree with you. It's an economic imperative. It's it's not just a nice to have. It's not just a, you know, we should get women involved. It's an economic per imperative, I would agree with you, for for all countries to get their full workforce in, involved and in, engaged. So. Um, thank you for sharing your thoughts on that. It's It's been a wonderful conversation. There are so many more things I could ask you, but we are at time. So, so Mike, if people want to learn um, more about Top Coder, and again, I as I said, I know aside from if I was ever going to purchase services from you, you have a blog on your site. There are resources on your site. If I just, as a business professional, want to get more intelligent about the topics of what your organization does, um, I recommend people take a look. So uh, share with everybody how they can find out more. Sure thing. So topcoder.com is, uh, is a place to go. Um, you can contact us through there. All the information is there. Um, and I will do uh, one kind of plug again for the, the Top Cutter Open next week in, in uh, our corresponding Innovation Summit, which is a customer event that we have. The, we have customers, prospects, we'll have a couple of hundred people and some thought leaders of the space joining us. 
that's in Houston next week. Um, information on that is also on the website. If you're in Houston, you know, it, it would love to have, uh, have people come by and stop and see, see the community and, um, and experience our innovation summit, but also, um, if uh, if you're remote, there there will be a live telecast, so it'll be a webcast. Yep. Thank you, Mike. Thank you so much. Thank you to our audience who who took a listen, um, and I think we'll just we'll we'll close with wonderful words that were shared from from Mike, and that is, "Are you ready for the future?" So, Mike, thank you so much for the gift of your time. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.